Sometimes uh, people don't understand why we have taken as much time as I do on the offering. And uh, if you'll analyze it, I'm not trying to get you to give. That's not what's going on. Faith comes by hearing. And uh, in order to have God's full provision, you've got to live by faith. Living by faith is living by sowing and reaping. And so uh, the reason we take time to do it is because we want to see you prosper. We want to see all your needs met. Want to see all your bills paid. Hmm? Want to see your good desires fulfilled. Want to see you come up to a whole another higher level of ability. Being blessed and being a blessing. That matters to us. Is that okay? Want to see you come up. Want to see you rise. And it's possible to just do things ritualistically. And just plump something down in the receptacle when it comes by and get no blessing at all. I don't want that. We don't have that at Faith Life Church. We do things by faith. And we get results. We get results. We, we get answered prayers. We reap harvests. People can mock and scoff if they want. Hmm? <clears throat> But we're enjoying the blessing all the while they're carrying on. One of these days, if they get smart, they'll quit mocking and come ask us how it works. <clears throat> but we do care about you. And, uh, you know, sometimes people say, well, we shouldn't talk. You shouldn't talk about money. You shouldn't talk about finances. It's not important. God doesn't care about it. That's completely not true. That shows how ignorant of the word you are. I mean, look at, study how many times Jesus talked about it and how much it's in the Bible. People say, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. Most people just spend the prime of their life trying to get some. (laughs) Oh, it matters. Now, you can be covetous and think too much about money and stuff and talk about it too much, but that doesn't mean God doesn't want you to have Everything that you need. And even a lot of good things just to enjoy. If you'll let him do it the right way. The right way. So uh, that's what we're talking about. The right way. And how how does faith come for all this? That's why we take some time. And talk about the word about it. I know what the Lord has done for us. And we want to see that and, and greater done for you and others. In Romans the 10th chapter. Are you there? Romans 10 and 9. Anybody familiar with this? Hmm? Well, the Lord quickened something to me in this phrase that I hadn't paid as much attention to. Isn't it amazing how the Word is alive? You can know something for decades, and then you read it again for the 83rd time and go, Whoa! When did that get in there? It's been in there all the time. He said, if you will confess with your mouth, this is not silent, mental, this is audible, 
vocal with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. <laughs> Say it out loud. Whoever, Whoever believes on him, believes on him shall, not shall not be ashamed. Be ashamed. Let's say it together two more times. Whoever, Whoever believes, believes on him shall not be ashamed. ashamed. One more time. Whoever, Whoever believes on him, what? Shall not be ashamed. That's the thing that I was quickened about. If you believe in him, what's the result? You shall not be ashamed. Have you ever been ashamed? No need to raise your hand, just a knowing look or not will be sufficient. Ashamed. If you look up the Hebrew word or the Greek word for ashamed, it means what you think. It means to feel ashamed, feel shame. And the Hebrew goes on with this in vines. It says the word has overtones of being or feeling worthless. Shame and a sense of guilt and a sense of worthlessness are connected. But tell me the good news on the text. Tell me the good news. Whoever believes on Jesus, what? What? Shall not be ashamed. Shall not be ashamed. Shall not be ashamed. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, uh, you believing with me for utterance? This, uh, this quickening of, about this. From the Lord, I believe, has to do with revelation. The truth will do what for you? It'll make you free. Make you free. Shame is something that is actually preached by different Christian groups. Hmm? quiet. Have you ever heard this phrase? Shame on you. Have you heard that phrase? That is a devilish phrase. More serious than a lot of what people call cuss words. Much more serious. Shame on you. 
Have you ever heard it? Yes. What does that mean? Shame on you. Is it an effort to get you to feel ashamed, guilty? What else goes with that? Worthless. Ashamed, guilty, bad. Have you no shame? Not if you believe on Jesus. Is that right? If you believe on him, you shall not be ashamed. Glory to God. Shame on you is an effort to make one feel guilty and ashamed. Is God in this? He is not. I said he is not. Go to Romans 8th chapter please. Shame did not exist before sin. In the beginning, it says Adam and Eve were even naked and not ashamed. Didn't even have any clothes on. And didn't had no concept of shame, feeling ashamed are feeling guilty, it didn't exist. They'd never had that sense or that feeling until they disobeyed God and they sinned. Then they went and hid in the bushes. When God was calling them, why are they hiding? They're ashamed and afraid. This didn't, this didn't exist until sin occurred. So you can't separate sin and shame. Sin and shame. Connected. But here's the good news. If sin has been paid for. Shame. There's no cause for shame. Shame for what? Shame for what? Shame for the sin that doesn't exist anymore? That's been washed away? You can begin to see why it said, if you believe on Jesus, you shall not be. In Romans 8th chapter and verse 33, what you see is that God is not the condemner. God is not trying to make people feel guilty or feel ashamed. And yet, this is what a lot of Religious teaching and preaching consists of. 
you sinner, (laughs) you've done this, you should be ashamed. You've done that, you, you should be ashamed. Just an old sinner, hopefully saved by grace. If that's your mentality, you cannot be free from shame. Because you still have a conscience of sin. And if you've got a conscience of sin, you're going to have shame. You can't get rid of the shame if the sin has, a, has not been dealt with. Here he says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Is God that justifies. Now this is King James language, but if you look at other translations, you'll see what, he, what he's saying. In fact, let me read this to you from the Living Bible. The Living Bible says, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Will God? No. He's the one who's forgiven us. And given us right standing with himself. If God had wanted us accused, all he'd have had to do is nothing. Leave us alone. Leave us in our sin. Leave us in our condemnation. But if he went to the effort that he did, so that we wouldn't be accused, so that we wouldn't be guilty... Why would God then turn around and try to put guilt on us? He's the one that took it off. Come on, can you see this? Can you see how distorted and perverted it is for people, preachers, whoever, to be trying to say, shame on you, guilt on you? It's completely ungodly. It's devilish. He's the devil is the one who wants shame on you. For numerous reasons. Verse 34. Living Bible. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ? Come on, help me out with that next word. (laughs) No. 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 Is God accusing us? No. No. Is Christ condemning us? No. 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 He is not. Who will condemn us? Will Christ? No. He's the one who died for us and came back to life again for us. If he had wanted us condemned, he would have never gone to the cross and been condemned and judged in our place. He would have never bore our sins, taken our sin so he could give us his righteousness. If he'd, and then turn around and say, shame on you. Condemnation on you. Guilt on you. Completely contrary to why he came. What he did. Go, go to 1 John if you would. The, um, I believe it's the third chapter. I'll look it up. <coughs> Everybody Okay. Thank you, Father. 1 John 3. Verse 19. 
He says, hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Now you'll find that the word heart and the word conscience are used when you're talking about these things. He said, verse 20, if our heart, what? Condemn us. God is greater than our heart. And knows all things. Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And the next phrase is, whatever we ask, we receive of him. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Your, your faith soars when you have no condemnation. But condemnation is the confidence killer. Shame and guilt and condemnation absolutely kills your confidence or your faith. Which is one of the reasons why the enemy tries to keep you in it all the time. Because he can keep you faithless and powerless and without results. And it's why he, he's so crafty. He's preached condemnation through religion. And all this phraseology that we've referred to. Shame on you. Now did you notice what it was that was condemning? Verse, verse 20 again. If what? If God condemns us? No. If the Holy Spirit condemns us. Sometimes you'll hear people say that, yeah, man, I was in that service, and boy, the, the, the Lord really condemned me about some things. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Well, I know I was condemned. I didn't say you weren't. I said he didn't do it. Well, what was condemning me? Your own heart. Not him. Come on, are y'all with me? He will show you the truth. And in the light of the truth, if you've come short of it and messed up, your own heart will condemn you for what you're seeing. But the truth is, even when your own heart is condemning you, the Holy Spirit will comfort you. He will comfort you when your own heart is condemning you. Who is he that's accusing? Not God. He's the one that justified you. Who's he that's condemning you? Not Jesus. He's the one that came and took your sins and paid the price. So this shame on you stuff never is coming from God. Anybody believe this now? It's never coming from God. Go with me to the, uh, I believe it's the book of Matthew. We'll begin to see how serious this is. Thank you, Father. Matthew 5. Is this okay today? Those that believe in Jesus and believe on him. Come on, help me out. Help me out. They shall not. Be ashamed. Shall not. 
So what if you're ashamed? You're not believing on Jesus like you need to be. You're not realizing what he's done. Because if the sin's been paid for, why am I still ashamed of it? If, if, if the sin is gone, if he doesn't remember it anymore, why would I mope around ashamed over something that's been paid for, that's been washed away, that's gone? Can you see, when we believe on him and the fullness of what he's done, the shame would have to go. If the shame is still there, we're not fully believing what he's done. In Matthew 5, the Lord said this in verse 22. The master said this, Matthew 5, 22. He said, I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother without a cause will be in danger of the judgment. Whoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever shall say, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, a lot, most times people read that if they read it, and they go, hmm, wow, and move on to something else. <laughs> but obviously something very serious. Yeah. Right? Is being referred to here. What, why is this so serious? What is this? Let me read from another translation. Both the Good News translation, and we can put that one up, Good News and today's English version both say almost the same thing here. That Jesus said, I tell you, if you're angry with your brother, you can be brought to trial. If you call your brother, What? You good for nothing. Good for nothing. You'll be brought before the council. If you call your brother what? A worthless fool. You'll be in danger of going to the fire of hell. Now the only reason you'd be in danger of going to the fire of hell is because you're not saved. Come on, are y'all with me? And if you genuinely, actively try to convince people of their worthlessness, that's an indication that you are, you've never been born again. And this is a sobering reality. That there's a lot of church-going people that are not saved. They've, they've not been born again. Going to church doesn't save you. Being on a membership roster doesn't save you. You must be born again, Jesus said. If you have been born again, the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And you may say and do some dumb things and things that you shouldn't have done yielding to the flesh, but in your heart... You care about your brother. And if that's not there, you hadn't been born again. Listen to 1 John, the third chapter. 1 John 3.10. 1 
1 John 3.10 says, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. If you don't love your brother, you're not of God. You're of the devil. There's just two spiritual families. And if you hadn't been born again, your father's not God, your father's the devil. Now this is contrary to the popular, all-inclusive mentality. That we are all brothers and sisters uh, children of the same God. Some worship Him as, as this and as that and the other, but it's all different ways. No, if you believe the Bible, you can't accept that. We're not all the same family. If you hadn't been born again, you're not in the same family I'm in. Jesus called the religious leaders of His day. He said, you are of your father the devil. That's what Jesus told him. You must be born again. And by this, Jesus said, will all men know that you are mine. That you are my disciples by what? That you love one another. Well, if you love somebody, one of the last things you would do is to try to make them feel worthless. That's right. Is everybody awake? Yes. If you care about somebody, to love someone, a part of that is that you value them. You value them. They're they're important. They're valuable. If you believe that, then you're not going to treat them like they're worthless, and you're not going to try to convince them that they're worthless. The devil is the one. He is the despiser, he is the demeanor, he is the belittler. And if you analyze cuss words, which I'm not telling you don't don't do it, in fact. (laughs) But what we call cuss words, people calling names, foul language, you blankety blank, you such and such, every one of them is trying to accomplish the same thing. What? To belittle you. Come on, can you see this? To belittle you, to shame you, to try to convince you of your worthlessness, your nothingness. All these cuss words, even though they're different words, they're they're all trying to do the same thing. Which is why Jesus talked so strongly about this reka, this, this worthless you, you, you empty-headed, uh, worthless, moron, idiot, other translations bring out. If you care about people, you are not going to talk to them like that. You don't want them feeling ashamed and embarrassed and like they're nothing. If they've messed up, if they're on the bottom, you want them to deal with it, but you don't want them to stay there. You want them to come up. You want them to get free. You want them to realize, even though they've made some mistakes, maybe some bad mistakes, they are yet precious in the eyes of God. They are valuable to Him. They're important. There's valuable, precious things in them. 
and about them. Can you see this, friends? Verse 14, 1 John 3:14. We know that we've passed from death unto life because we go to church. <laughs> no, it ain't so. How do we how do we know? That we're no longer in Satan's family. We're no longer dead spiritually. How do we know we've passed out of death unto life? This one thing. We love the brethren. Then I'm not going to be yelling and screaming and cussing him and calling him a worthless fool, idiot, and shame on you. <laughs> Don't hurt to get quiet sometime. I can I mean, this is serious stuff. He that loves not his brother abides or stays in death. Verse 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That's not just somebody that made a mistake and did something that affected somebody's life this is in your heart you are a premeditated murderer whether you acted on it or not you hate somebody you want them destroyed you want them removed if that's if that's really in your heart you're in danger of hell you're not saved you haven't been born again are these my ideas or are we reading the scripture? But when you've been born again, the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And we are capable now, being born again, being a new creation in Christ, we are capable of loving people even as Jesus loves us. Which is by faith. It's got nothing to do with how much you like them. Or, or all the stuff. they. You don't have to love their idiosyncrasies. You don't have to love uh, any sin that they have yielded to. You don't have to love their failures and mistakes. But if you don't love them, you don't love what your father loves. Hmm? Thank you, Father. Somebody say, thank you, Father. So around Faith Life Church, nobody calls a brother good for nothing, worthless fool, idiot moron, huh? (laughs) Trying to belittle them. Trying to demean them. We do the other. We do the opposite. God gives us words that edify, that build up. Hallelujah. That cause people to see themselves as more valuable than they knew they were. To cause them to see themselves through God's eyes. Did you know you're this? Did you know you have this in you? 
Did you know God sees you like this? Hmm? That's what we do. Is that right? That, that's what we do. God gives us words. He gives us anointing. Words that build up. Words that edify. Words that encourage. Thank you, Lord. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. 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 In John the 8th chapter, why don't you look there quickly. John 8 and 10, we see Jesus dealing with people in sin. Dealing with this woman. Now this doesn't mean that there's no such thing as sin. It doesn't mean that if you've made a mistake, you should be okay with that. And you should treat that failure as no big deal. Because if you said, ah, it's no big deal. Well, that's what Jesus went to the cross to pay. It's a big deal. Right? Sin is a big deal. But that doesn't mean you have to stay in condemnation and shame. In uh, John 8, this was the case where the woman had been caught in the act of adultery. And uh, when Jesus lifted up himself and he saw none but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Because, see, they, were, they brought her there. They threw her down. Are they treating her like she's important? The opposite. They said Moses in the law said adulterers should be stoned. We caught her in the act. Well... There's a lot of things wrong with this situation. You can't commit adultery by yourself. Where's the guy? Right? Conveniently not available. Probably one of their friends. This is a setup. But it doesn't change the fact that she's wrong. She shouldn't have been involved with this other man. And Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? Because he had just said to them, he that's without sin among you can be the first one to throw the rock. And as they began to reflect, they all got up and left. The only way you can judge is to be a hypocrite. That's the only way you can. Because if you're honest, you know you've made mistakes too. You've messed up too. It might not have been exactly in that area, but sin is sin. You didn't walk in the light you have. You ignored, you disobeyed. Same spiritual things. She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said, what? What did he say to her? If anybody would have been in a position to judge her and condemn her, it would have been he who had never sinned. Right? Notice what he didn't say. Shame on you. Woman, you know better than this. Hmm? Shame on you. 
No. What did he say? I don't condemn you either. Oh, friends, this ought to be music to our ears. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, he didn't say what she did was all right. He called it sin. Right? He just said, stop it. Don't do it again. Which is the only way to live shame-free. If you violate light, well, go, go to Romans 8 again. Can you tell this is kind of a big subject? You got time? Yes, yes. Romans 8. There'll be plenty to chew on. <clears throat> Romans 8 1. What does it say? Shame on you. <laughs> I hope you're getting rid of that phrase. Right? I mean, don't even say it to your dog. Huh? <laughs> Shame on you. Don't. don't. Just, just don't. There is therefore now what? No. No. No means none. Zero. Condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now it goes on. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Don't leave that part off. Now I realize some say that some ancient texts don't have that phrase there. But it appears again. Verse 4. And it is there no matter what ancient text you look at. <clears throat> Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who what? Walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Remember, sin and shame, they're connected. There, there never was any shame until there was sin. But what is sin? Sin is violation of light. To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. James says, why would you say to him? Isn't sin sin? No. It's not. That's what's confusing for a lot of people. If you don't know any better, even though it may hurt you and cause you some problems when you do it, it's not sin to you. You're not violating light. You didn't know any better. But when you do know better, if you ignore what you know, if you know you shouldn't do this, but you do it anyway, you cannot escape shame. You can make good confessions but and even receive forgiveness, but you go again and do it tomorrow? What's going to happen? It's right back. The only way to live shame-free, it takes two things. Everybody awake? Yes, sir. Yes. Number one, most importantly, 
you got to have faith in what Jesus has done. Faith in the blood of the Lamb that washes clean. And day in, day out, to stay free, you have to walk in the light that you have. And not contradict your own conscience. I, I ministered in healing school at Brother Hagin's ministry for a number of years and, and learned some of these things. This way, I had a guy one time tell me, he said, Brother Keith, he said, you know, I, I drink coffee. He said, I, I drink probably at least 12 cups a day. He said, I feel like it's hurting me. What do you think? You think I should quit? It doesn't really matter what I think. Did you hear something in that? Did you hear something? What did he say? I feel like it's hurting me. Hmm? So what's wrong with drinking coffee? Maybe nothing. Maybe something. Right? Is it the same for everybody? No, it is not. It's not the same for everybody. Hmm? If you got high blood pressure and uh, you're making confessions that it's, it's going to be normal and yet you're eating a bunch of real salty stuff that you know could be an issue, you're undermining your faith. Come on, can you see this? Your heart's bothering you because you're thinking you shouldn't be doing this, and that takes away your confidence from your faith. Come on, can you see this? The only way to have full confidence is to keep your conscience clear. And the only way to keep your conscience clear is if you believe something's wrong, stop it. Amen. If you believe you should be doing something, start doing it. What about what other people to do? You need to forget about them. And walk in the light that you have. Remember what, uh, when Jesus raised from the dead and John and Peter were there. And he told uh, Peter about how he was going to die and leave the world. And Peter looked over and John said, well, what about him? What about John? What about the one you love? Your boy. What did Jesus say to him? Huh? Basically, what is it to you? You follow me. Because, see, we're, all of us are at different places in our understanding, in our light, in the development of our faith. You may have more light on this than I do, which is why your conscience would bother you and mine wouldn't yet. Right? If I grow some and I learn some, then one day I may look up and go, you know, maybe I ought not be doing this. But at the time, I didn't see it. Come on now. Have you walked with the Lord any length of time? Has this happened? You were doing some stuff back years ago. You look back now and go, oh, man, what was I doing? But sin's not imputed when you're not violating a known command or law. Can you see this, friends? 
So yes, you've got to have faith in what Jesus has done. But did you see? There, read, read it again. Romans 8.1. There is what? No, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Keep reading. Who walk not after the flesh. But after the spirit. Let me give you another way of saying this. Who walk in the light of what they know in their spirit. You walk in the light. It's real simple. If your heart bothers you about something, come on, help me out. Stop it. Quit it. If not, you're gonna, that shame's going to keep hanging on. That condemnation. And it won't be because the Lord won't forgive you. There is no sin that's not already paid for. There is sin unrepented for. Unrepented. And there is forgiveness that's not received. In closing, go to the book of Hebrews. Like I said, I think this is enough to chew on. Hebrews, the second chapter. Thanks be to God. There is no condemnation. If I'll have faith in what the Lord has done for me, walk in the light that I have, I can live, you can live with zero shame. Many people in the world don't even believe that's possible. But it is. You can live with zero guilt. Zero condemnation. Do you know what that'll do for your faith? <laughs> your faith will bubble up in you like a pot that's about to boil over and you'll just get to where you can believe for anything. Glory to God. No miracle will be too big. You can believe for any healing, believe for any financial miracle. Just believe you can do anything God tells you to do. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation. I want you to notice this, though, in closing. This I got stirred up about this. Hebrews 2 and 9. It says, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now this is... This is a whole nother message, and I mean shouting ground. The Lord said, if you believe on me, you'll never die. Well, if he tarries his coming, I'm not going to live to be a 500 years old or a 1,000. I mean, I'm going to go. You're going to go. So how can that be true? You'll leave your body, but you won't even taste death. Because you won't die. Your body will fall and they'll need to go put it somewhere because it's got no life in it. But you're not your body. Your body's just the house that your spirit has indwelled. You'll be very much alive somewhere else 
And you won't even taste death. You'll be out of your body for several minutes before you realize, hey, is that my body laying there? But it wouldn't, it wouldn't be accurate to say I'm dead because you're not dead. If you want to say my body died, but that's not even the end of it. Hallelujah. The trumpet's going to sound. The Lord's going to come back and pick it up and change it to incorruptible, immortal. And you get it back. Fixed up. But you won't even taste death. Because Jesus tasted, took, experienced fully death for you. At the same time that he took our Guilt, our shame, our sin, our condemnation. So we won't even taste death. Isn't it wonderful? Don't be afraid to die as a child of God. Don't, don't, no fear. Verse, verse 10, it became him for whom are all things And by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifies, that's Jesus, and they who are sanctified, that's us, are all of one. Did he sanctify you? By the offering of his own body and his own blood, did he make us holy? Did he make us what sanctified me? Did he make us clean? Did he purify us? Did he purge us? Did he cleanse us? Did he make us holy? Did he or not? He that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Come on, you got to say it. The Lord Jesus is not ashamed of me. Does that do anything for you or not? He's not ashamed to call me his brother. And there may be kinfolks that's ashamed of you. There may be former friends and co-workers that's ashamed of you. Who knows? But what does it matter when the head of the church claims you as his is not embarrassed to be associated with you? When somebody brings up to him, Keith Moore. Thank you, Lord. Master, you know Keith Moore? He doesn't roll his eyes. <laughs> yeah, Keith. He claims me. He claims me. He claims you. Fully identifies with us. He's not ashamed. Oh, this ought to bless you all day long. Is that right? All day long at tomorrow. Come on, say that loud. He's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of you. Well, after all the stuff you've pulled and done, 
After all of the shortcomings, the failures, the mistakes. We're talking about lies and deception and betrayal and rebellion. How could he not be ashamed of that? Because he doesn't see that when he looks at you. You either washed or you're not. You either clean or you're not. You either sanctified or you're not. And if the sin has been washed away, and if we've been cleansed, and if God doesn't see it and remember it anymore, what would I be being ashamed about? And if he's not ashamed, and he comes right up and hugs me and calls me brother, why would I stand there beside him going, I'm so ashamed. Yeah, but I'm not ashamed of you. Yeah, but yeah, but what? You know better? <laughs> yeah, but you don't know everything. He knows everything. He knows the stuff you hadn't realized yet. <laughs> and he's still not ashamed of you. Same thing is said about the Father in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 16. Well, I, I didn't finish. I didn't finish reading. Go back to Hebrews 2, 11. Excuse me. I'm, I'm moving too fast. Hebrews 2, 11. 2, 11. He's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name unto my brethren. He's talking about us. In the midst of the church, he's talking about us. Will I sing praise to you? And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. He claims us. We're his. He's not ashamed. And 11, Hebrews eleven sixteen says the same thing about the Father. says, now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is what? Not ashamed. Not ashamed to be called their God. Because we have believed the Father. And we walk by faith. He's not ashamed to be called our God. We've accepted the sacrifice in Jesus that the Father has given. We're honored, honoring the one the Father honors. He's not ashamed to be called our God. We don't realize how big this is. How big God is throughout the universe. How, how the, all the created beings see him. In fact, the angels spoke up. It's recorded in Psalms. And they said, what in the world is a man? <laughs> that you are mindful of him. They're going, they talk to each other. They're going, can you believe what a big deal he makes out of these men? Men, C compared to them, we're so weak, we're so feeble, we live about this long, have messed up so many times, they're looking at us like, why does he like them so much? He sees something they don't see. We've been recreated in his likeness and image. It's, it's like, it's a parent thing. Hmm? Amen. 
mamas and daddies see things in their kids other people don't see. Is that right? Huh? Grandpas and grandmas, they're like, oh, yeah, that's a little, got a little mud on their face and there's some exterior. And they said and did some dumb things today. But aren't they amazing? They're amazing. They're amazing. They're not ashamed of them. But other people's wanting to keep them at a distance. And our Father, it, does, it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. But the Scripture says, now we are the sons of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when He comes and when we see Him, we will be like Him. And that is nothing to be ashamed of. Can you say amen? Stand on your feet, everybody.